Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to come before your throne. We find mercy, we find grace, it helps us in our time of need, and we thank you, Lord, that we need you. We thank you that we know we need you. So many people need you and have no clue why, what. They don't know where to go. They don't know it's you who is their answer. So we thank you, Lord, that we know it. And we receive everything you have for us today in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen. So we're going to talk today about how to plead your case before God. How to plead your case. And uh, I always, when I think about that that phrase, I think about Hezekiah, um, uh, king of Judah. Um, it was uh, He was a descendant of David's, of course. And uh, we know that David's uh, descendants were given a promise by God that the scepter of Israel would not depart from that, that line, the line of Judah. And we know that Jesus was of that bloodline, right? And so God kept his word, but in keeping that word, he had to keep some kings alive, right? He had to keep some people going in order to make that promise come true. So I just believe there's a certain prophetic degree of mercy and favor over your life uh, based on certain things. Now, uh, in their time, it might have been based on a natural inheritance uh, as well as a spiritual. But in our situation, ours is strictly a spiritual inheritance. So there are certain things that you can decree over your children um, and grandchildren over your seed forever, that that God has told you that would fall upon them. Amen? Uh, the seed of the righteous shall always be delivered. They won't be in bondage to drugs, alcohol, people, witchcraft, nothing. Amen? Uh, they, they, they will inherit all that you have and increase. So they'll, they'll know God better than you do. In fact, some of you are shocked that your kids don't worry like you do. You understand what I'm saying? Well, they got sense enough to worry because they know God at least to that degree. <laughs> they were paying attention to enough things. Amen. And so it's kind of like, well, shoot, I should have him pray for me. Well, that ain't a bad idea. Their glory will, will increase over yours. In fact, all the trial and error you had to go through to learn a little bit that we got. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> they They just get it automatically, you know. I was I was talking to Rebecca. Some of you know she's living with me now. She's she's gotten real close to her school, and I mean it's just really made for her. And I don't like living by myself. I just realized that. I say, you know what, God, I've always had somebody living here. And you know, I look around and hear noises and want to peek around the corner and all. This, you know what I'm saying? It really ain't, but it's a blessing really to have her there. And uh, so she was. Uh, wanting, she's really needing a, a new car, and uh, hers was was needing some work. And she finally, she said, she drove back one morning, and she said the brakes went out. I said, really? I said, you got home? I said, where'd they go out at? She said, at work. I said, you drove all the way back with no brakes. And she just looked at me like, what planet do you live on, lady? I got three brother, brothers and a dad. I better know how to drive without brakes. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, she's, I was just shocked. I said, well, we won't tell the guys, Becky. We'll just, 
tell them you just made it home or whatever. But anyway, she came back like the next couple of weeks. She got the brakes fixed and uh, kept driving, and, and then she drove home the next couple of weeks with a new car. And I said, you got another car? She said, yeah. And I said, and I thought about it for a minute, and I said, Lord, I said, that was really quick. And I thought about it, the prophet's reward, it really falls on people that are under your authority in your house or whatever. And so I was mentioning that to her one time. She's with her cousin, Brittany. They were over, you know, girl stuff and giggling and talking. So and we were talking to Brittany about the prophet's reward, basically. Yeah, I got it already because I said, I got my new car, Britt. And she just shrugged her shoulders and kept rolling. Britt said, I need some of that. I said, you'll get it. <laughs> so anyway, Becky just cashed it in. She wasted no time. So anyway, you know, because these young people expect these things. You know, they're shocked if they don't happen. Amen. And so we're just thankful to God that he's the one who keeps up with everything. You know what I'm saying? It took me a while to figure it out, but she already cashed in on it. So I'm going to keep it moving. So anyway, and it's a good thing because God wants us to have everything we desire and the things that make life easier for her. she got a lot of things to do and she doesn't need a car that's going to stop on her. So praise God. So God is good. So anyway, <clears throat> yeah, the, the, um, the, Sure mercies of David. It's what was Hezekiah's inheritance. Every king of Judah had that inheritance over them. In other words, they could claim their life, their offspring's life, uh, and it was an eternal promise because it ended with Jesus, the natural line did. Uh, he, he had no natural descendants. Amen. And so it was left for his spiritual descendants then after that to inherit that eternal kingdom that God promised to David so many centuries before. So Hezekiah has that prophecy over his life. That's one thing that he has going for him. There's some other things too. And so we're going to talk about that in pleading your case before God. Because so many times we're dependent upon faith alone to get the job done for us. But there are certain things that God has prophesied over us. There are certain things he's spoken to our hearts. Uh, there are certain things that just will prolong our lives if we'll understand that we can't leave here before our business is finished. If you've got unfinished business, if you've got unfinished things that you desire to see and you haven't seen them yet. You plead your case before God. You know, I mean, if sickness might try and overtake you or anything might try and overtake you, you know, you see some of these people, you know, you see them on, on Facebook, Instagram, social media, you see them on, uh, who is it? Uh, oh, geez. Willard Scott, remember him on the Today program? He would always have somebody, why don't we say happy birthday? She's celebrating 102 years. <laughs> you know, it's always somebody over 100 years old. And how do we think people live that long? You know, now, sometimes those of us who don't really understand peace with God and understand the blessing of longevity and, and you know, rising up to see another day, some people take life for granted uh, in a sense that they don't really expect long life. They 
maybe expect what the normal life expectancy is. Or, you know, I want to be around if I'm healthy. Well, he promises that too, so you don't have to put that if on there. That'll happen. Uh, you know, I, I just want to go to sleep one day and, and step over. Well, that's possible too. You understand you'll have to be sick and get sick and let disease take you down. You can go leave this earth in perfect health. Amen? And so these are the things that we think sometimes we don't think too much about when when uh, illness might threaten you or or certain things might threaten your health, your well-being, all of that, that you can plead your case before God and allow God to hear you out. You know, what would what, what would you want to stay around for? What do you see envision yourself doing in God? What have you done for him in the past? All of that. It's important that we understand our worth and our value to God. Uh, now, see, we already have that established. You should know if somebody gave their life for you, you must be pretty valuable. Amen? But then what do we do with that life once we come into that knowledge? That's important, too. And I think once we start living the life for God, then we can look at that and say, well, God, you know what? I believe that you want me here longer. I believe we've got, you know, there are people, I heard somebody, I think it was Suzanne Summers, she, she's one of these definitely anti-drug, anti-medicine, anti-med, she's not wanting to be dependent on anything and she kind of has a, a sense about her body and natural things that'll help it and all. You know, you gotta have, you gotta be into that if, if that's what you, but I say that to say she's not a Christian, you know, verbal and, uh, she's not dependent on the word of God, but she's depending on a greater power somehow to help her. And she said that, uh, it was, it, 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 she was selling her a lot of her products on one of the TV shows and she was on there and she mentioned that, uh, they had found a lump in her breast and she said she didn't think she wanted to have any kind of chemo or anything in the treatment or, and so somebody convinced her to do it for her family, you know, that kind of stuff. But you could see her faith wasn't really in that, you know. And I think she might have gotten it checked out and, and might have uh, taken some chemo or something, but she didn't get anything extreme done. And she said about less than a year later, she found lumps elsewhere in her body or they might have found them on x-ray or something like that. And she said, I was just thinking about things. She said, and I was wondering what to do. And she said, I was just contemplating my life and thinking that you can see she's a person spends a lot of time in her head and you know that when you meditate god can show up and talk to you now you can't say she's off limits because she ain't born again because he talked to us before we got born again a lot of us know he was talking to us and so she's putting this question before whoever to get an answer about what to do and she said, I just thought to myself, she said, I was walking through my house and all my, my, uh, I guess she had one child. She said, my grandchildren were visiting and they were asleep and, you know, it was something in that nature. And she said, I thought to myself, look at all this love 
that's around you. Look at all of this, you know, and somehow she got it inside of her that she was not going to succumb to death. She said, I have too much to live for. And she said the next time she went to the doctor, doctor, all that was gone. And that's been over 15 years ago that I can recall, because I can't recall her being on the TVs, you know, her products being sold as much as they were. That was like at the height of her popularity there. And uh, she just thought about that. And it some clicked in her and gave her, instead of, Fearing death, she started being determined to live. And that's how she lived. Amen? So, and that's faith. See, faith in God's word, however that comes to you. Amen? It doesn't have to be chapter and verse Bible. It can just be a determination that God is good, that there's a love here for you. People love you. You need to stay around. That kind of thinking oftentimes will tip the balance with with that for people who just don't know the word. God's merciful to them too. But think if you do know the word, how thoughts like that can help you. You know, see, your meditation is very, very important. If you can drive out that fear of dying and replace it with a determination to live, and I have a lot to live for, and I'm just going to live, you know, period, uh, it, it can help too. And for Christians, you got to have the word first as your foundation, but the enemy can take it away for you from you in a minute by getting you discouraged about, you know, what, well, what's, what do I have to live for? I'm just, I don't want to live, be sick. I don't want to be this. I don't want to be that. Those are all negative thoughts. But if you can keep in your mind, well, <laughs> I'm healed and it will come to pass. Amen. I'm looking forward to the day when I don't have to take this pill. I don't have to, you know, be limited in my activity. I can just get up and go because I want to get up and go, you know, that kind of thing. And so we start affirming things that you want to do. This is this is all I can see that Hezekiah did. He made plans, and he had plans, and he wasn't willing to cancel his earthly plans yet, and he let God know it. And so here we have in Isaiah 38, we'll start there, <clears throat> and I probably, I want to do this over a two-day period, I, 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 but, you know, I'll do whatever God says, but it, it struck me that I've taught this before, and usually with healing, I would do healing schools of one day teaching. And then I looked and I said, this is a lot to cram in one day. You know what I'm saying? So uh, going back over my healing school notes, they're all like one-hour sermons. And then the anointing comes in and you have an altar call. But I thought I would just take some time and give us an understanding of how somebody can get a death sentence from God in in and in a, a matter of minutes, God changes mind. Amen? And so remember that God never has to change his heart. Because his heart is fixed in loving us. Amen? It's not that he's going to die because God don't like him no more. Or God hates him and he's trying to convince God to love him again. God always loves us. And, and he looks at us like his dear children. And he treats us like his dear children. Amen? So most of you parents know you can say no all day long 
you know, last time you gave this kid some money, he didn't do nothing with it, and he spends it like water, and I work too hard for my money. But they tell you the right story, and you're right back in your pocket again, you know, helping them out. And so this is this is the way it is. This is the way it is uh, with, uh, with, with parents and, and with God. And so in Isaiah chapter 36, I'm sorry, 38, it says in verse 1, <clears throat> Okay. Uh, in those days, Hezekiah was sick unto death, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him and said to him, Thus saith the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall surely die and not live. Now, Isaiah was not some, you know, just beginner, novice prophet or something like that. He had prophesied many things that came to pass. He was Isaiah's counselor. Uh, when Isaiah got stuck in a couple of places, <laughs> in big places, he had to send to Isaiah for the word of the Lord. You know, what does God say? What do we do? Was there help coming from us? And so he says, you shall surely die and not live. No possibility. You know, if he had just said you'll surely die, he might have said, probably in a couple of years, or maybe we easily win. <laughs> when you say die and not live, that means it's pretty imminent, okay? And then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. He never said anything to Isaiah. Amen? This is important, folks. Once you get the word of the Lord, that's God talking to you. So if you want any changes, you got to go to God for the changes. Amen. If there's any further discussion, you go to the source. So this is not, you know, the you got to plead with the prophet to ask God again. This is you go to God yourself. And it says, and he prayed unto the Lord and said, remember. Now, if you got stuff you want God to forget, keep your mouth shut. Amen. <laughs> About saying, remember. <laughs> he says, remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. Some of this weeping actually moves God. Remember David when he came back to Ziklag and found all of his stuff gone? Him and all his men wept until they could weep no more. The Bible says he oh God holds our tears in a bottle. They who sow in tears will do rut. Hello? So there's some reaping yet to be done after you cry. Amen? The crying ain't the end of it. Amen. It says, then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah saying, so he talks to the prophet, not to Hezekiah. It's important because the way that God initiates something is the way that he'll reverse it. You got me? You, For instance, if you go to the doctors and get an evil report, don't be afraid to go back after you believe God's healed you. Amen. Because God will confirm through them because they are the ones who initiated the bad news. When Jesus healed those ten lepers, what did he tell them to do? Go show yourself to the priest. 
because they had probably been pronounced unclean by the priests. That's why they were announcing themselves as unclean. So God will turn you back the way you came to reverse. He'll clean up every bad place or every trace that could come and accuse you of being disobedient, being out of order, or still being sick, whatever it is. Now, there are some people that understand and get assurance from God that that's not necessary. That's a different scenario. But in this, the prophet was the one that you sought God for counsel. Amen? So that word is still hanging in the heart and in the mind of the prophet. And the prophet has power with God to carry out certain things on earth. You got me? And so if the prophet needs to know that God has reversed his order that he just gave him. Amen. And this is something I think was very common with prophets. You know, you go and pronounce a death sentence like Jonah. Jonah got so sick at telling people if they didn't repent, God's going to kill them. He's waiting for God to kill somebody, and these people repent all over the place. You understand what I'm saying? So (laughs) God has to clear that up through the vessel that took the message. So God said to Hezekiah, he told Isaiah, he said, Go say to Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add to your days 15 years. Now, when God gives you an answer, it's like it's a pattern that people kind of tend to fit into. You know, everybody cries when they're upset about the news they get. You know, I don't know about you, but I do sometimes. Unless something comes to me immediately to dry them tears up. You know, and sometimes God will give you a word like that and let you know I've already taken care of this. You understand what I'm saying? Now, you can keep crying if you want to, but you can dry them tears up. Amen? But sometimes tears become your offering. Sometimes they are all that you can produce out of, you know, what's going on. And Hezekiah had prayed to the Lord. And God said, I'm going to add, he told Isaiah to tell him, I'm going to add 15 years. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. And this shall be a sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing that he has spoken. Behold, I will bring again the shadow of the degrees, which has gone down in the sundial of Ahaz, ten degrees backwards. Why backwards? Why not speed it up forwards? Because that's something that's easy to do. See, momentum is going with forward. To understand, somebody could tamper with it, move it, whatever it is. But but God, when he does a miracle, he does something counter to what we would normally expect. You got me? So backwards is a little hard, a lot harder to do than speeding it up forwards. And he says, so the, in, behold, I will bring again the shadow of the degrees which has gone down in the sundial of Ahaz ten degrees backward. So the sun returned ten degrees by which degrees it had gone down. The writing of Hezekiah king of Judah when he had been sick and was recovered of his sickness. Now this is what Hezekiah, this was his testimony 
that he shared after he got better. And he says, this is what he said to God. He said, I said in the cutting off of my days, I shall go to the gates of the grave. I am deprived of the residue of my years. In other words, I had plans, God. I was going to see my great-grandchildren grow up. I was going to go to everybody's graduation. I was going to see my kids in business. I was going to, you understand what I'm saying? I'm being deprived of the rest of my years. So anyhow, he's building a case for himself, and God's got to have something pretty powerful to tell him to counter this. See, what you want to do, and this is something we do on the inside of us. This is not something that, because God's already said we're healed. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is something that you must work out. Say after, if if the doctor says that you're only going to live six months or something like that. This is something that you meditate on. This is something that you discuss with God. This is This is you talking to the Lord and getting a peace about him extending your years. You're not asking God for more years because he gladly has given them to you. He's the one who's told you you can make these plans. But then natural things come up. Illness comes up. A, 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 a bad test result will come up. So then what are you going to do? You're going to accept the bad test result? Or are you going to plead your case before God and let him know you got plans. Let him know, God, on the strength of your word that I'm healed, I have been making plans for this. And I want to see these plans carried out. Now, if if I need to add something to what I'm doing, if I need to hold on better, if I need to fast, I need to do something to break this thing, this hold of this disease on me, just tell me what it is I need to do. I'm willing to do it. And I think sometimes this is what we don't do. We don't include God in pleading before him what we want to do. We try to make it like, well, I better not make any plans. I may not get too aggressive with God. I may not save too much. Well, you're thinking it. You know, you're thinking it. You're thinking it sure would be nice if I could, you know, we mealy mouth around it instead of directly declaring what we expect. And he says, he said, my age is departed. And is removed from me as a shepherd's tent. In other words, I'm, you're packing me up like I'm just a piece of, you know, piece of equipment. And he says, I have cut off, I am cut off like a weaver my life. He will cut me off with pining sickness from day even to night. Will you make an end of me? I reckoned until morning that as a lion, So will he break all my bones from day even until night? Will you make an end of me? See, this is how his mind is is exaggerating the bad news. See, when you you get bad news about your health, you start imagining, wow, what's that going to be like? I can't imagine me for real. I can't go to God. I can't can't expect more years. What is that? And his imagination now is playing tricks on me. He says, like a crane or a swallow, so did I chatter. I did mourn as a dove. My eyes fail with looking upward. Oh, Lord, I am oppressed. Undertake for me. Now, this prayer, I think, was prayed sometime. I think this happened over a period of time. You know, I think he might have had some some fantasies about 
how his end was going to come, uh, all of that, you know, and, and he poured out his heart to God. God, I've been laying here in this bed for a long time and I've been imagining all these things are going to happen to me because I was sick and now you tell me I'm going to die? Is this really the end of it? And he says, what shall I say? He hath both spoken to me and himself have done it. I shall go softly all my years in the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live, and in all these things is the life of my spirit. So will you recover me and make me to live. So at the end of it, he he sums it up. He says, Lord, I've been thinking all this stuff is going to happen to me. I'm going to be cut off like my life means nothing. He said, but at the end of it, I'm asking you, just let me live. Amen. And and he says, behold, for peace, I had great bitterness. But you have in love to my soul delivered me from the pit of corruption. For you have cast all my sins behind my back. This is the payoff line. You gotta be willing to repent. You gotta be willing to bring these things up before God. God, I know, you know, there's some things I didn't do right. And there's some things I've yet to do. But you've already forgiven all my sins. You're a forgiving and a loving God. And you cast them all behind my back. For the grave cannot praise you. Amen. <laughs> Death cannot celebrate you. In other words, God, you got to let me live because who else is going to praise you? I got a spot in the sanctuary that they have just for me. And nobody else is going to take that spot. That's going to be an empty spot if you let me die. Amen. And so he says, he said, they can't celebrate you. And they that go down to the pit cannot hope for your truth. The living, the living shall praise you. Amen. As I do this day, the father to the children shall make known your truth. The Lord was ready to save me. Therefore, we will sing my songs to the stringed instruments all the days of our life in the house of the Lord. For Isaiah had, had said, let them take a lump of figs and lay it for a plaster upon the boil, and he shall recover. Hezekiah also had said, What is the sign that shall, I shall go up into the house of the Lord? So Hezekiah is lying there, and he's making plans to praise God. He's making plans to continue to worship God. He's making plans. See, this is how you get your life. You get it back so that you can do something to glorify God. You don't get it back so that you can go back on the streets and do all kind of crazy stuff. And, you know, Lord, I got a condo we pay for already. And uh, who's going to go down there every year in my place? Well, somebody is because you ain't touching God. If you're not touching God with, with your plea, do you understand what I'm saying? Anybody can, the Bible says the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. So people lose stuff all the time. Righteous people lose stuff too. You understand? And so this is something we have to keep in mind. You have to keep it to the things that you know God appreciates. You got to keep it because we are left here to praise him. We are here to glorify him, to lift him up. And if we lift him up, what does he say he'll do? He gets a chance to win some souls by you lifting him up. See, don't lay there and say, well, God, from now on, I'm going to start witnessing. Don't even go there. Just say, God, I'm going to be the one who's going to be there lifting you up. 
I'm going to give you praise. I'm going to give you glory. I'm going to work for you. All the things that I've done for you, Lord, I'll have a chance to do them again. And so when God finally turned this around, he tells the prophet to go back and talk to him and tell him he has heard your prayer. If God does not have that in your equation, you get to talking and pleading your case. You get to asking God what it is that you need to do. You get to talking to him about your plans that you have. You know, of course, those plans always come from him. So he's promised you something already that the enemy seems to want to cancel. So you got to reactivate all of that in your prayer. You've got to reactivate all of that in your thinking. You have to reactivate all of that in your plans. Just don't let your plans go to nothing. Let your plans be revived. When when you get revived, life will come to you. Amen. Because God knows you're serious about going ahead and and uh responding to him in the right way. And so here we have Hezekiah pleading his case before God. He has asked God a sign and and to know what it is that, that is necessary to do so that he can prolong his days. And so his sign is that the sundial will go back ten degrees. And also uh he he informed Isaiah that they should make a a, a pack of figs and put it on that boil. The boil was killing him because no doubt he had blood poisoning. Uh, some of these infections that get in your lymph system are pretty serious. And so he was really kind of rotting from the inside. And God told him to put a, a, a fig poultice on there, you know, a pack with figs, and that it would heal him. It would be a, a point of contact for his healing. And so when when that was done for him, uh, he began to to revive. And he says, from that you will recover. And uh, so anyway, <clears throat> he was able to um, recover. God brought his health back to him. And he went on. So this is the thing that, that I wanted to point out about what Hezekiah asked God to remember. What did he want? What did he do for God that he wanted to remember? So we say 38 and 38, we just read in verse three. And I said, remember now, O Lord, I pray you how I have walked before you in truth and with a perfect heart. And have done that which is good in your sight. And then he began to cry. Why do you think he began to cry? He tells God, remember all these good things. You know, if you're sending in your resume and you've got nothing but uh, a stellar, uh, you know, references, high education and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you, you, you don't have anything to cry about. You're sitting there, look at my resume, all this good stuff I got on here. And then he starts crying. Why do you think he's crying? Cause like most of us, he's done some stuff that ain't so good. You got me? So once something comes out of your mouth, 
and it's not true 100%, God will start to convict you. And this is where you can either receive mercy or you can think you've done nothing but good and never address the bad, never redress, never address repentance, never address, amen. So Hezekiah in his weeping no doubt repents. Because he later says, you have put all my sins behind my back. So he knows that his report is not 100% good. Amen. So he says in verse 17, he says, behold, for peace I had great bitterness. But you have in love to my soul delivered it from the pit. So this is where Hezekiah starts to receive his healing from God. He says, I know you've delivered me right now, for you have cast all my sins behind my back. So he didn't go to God saying, well, what did I do wrong? Or why am I sick? Or I ain't no whining like. He just tells God to remember all the good he's done. And as soon as those words come out of his mouth, click, his mind snaps on stuff he didn't do so good. Amen. And so we're going to go back a little bit and look at what Hezekiah did for the Lord and and uh, all the good things that he had done. And remember, uh, in Second Chronicles, that's where it is, in chapter 29. Got to go back a few. Starting when he first began to reign. In verse 1, Hezekiah began to reign when he was 20 and 5 years old. as a very young man. And he reigned nine and twenty years in Jerusalem. So this is, I would say, where he's at when he's sick. So if he reigned twenty-nine years, he was halfway through because he got fifteen more. So this is like in the fourteenth year he gets sick. And then God adds more years, fifteen more onto that. So at fourteen years of his ministry, uh, he he has made some mistakes and he gets sickness from that. He says in verse 3, He in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of God and repaired them. So the temple, people had not been worshiping. This temple had been empty. Why? Because whoever was before him didn't do their job. Amen. If you look at, say, look through the book of the Chronicles, you'll see, so-and-so, and he was so-and-so when he reigned, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Then the next one, he came, he did that which was not right in the sight of the Lord. And then the next one, he did. So we have a seesaw of kings who support the ministry and, and have regular temple worship, who take care of the priesthood, who do all of the things they're supposed to do, and God rules over his people the way he's always wanted to do. Then you have some some nut that comes in there and quits doing, kind of like we have now with our elections. You'll get some who do the right thing. You'll get some who say they're going to do the right thing and, and string you along for, for eight years and do nothing. You understand what I'm saying? And so as as believers, though, we're not dependent upon who physically is governing us, though we are to pray for God to have people in there who let his people live peaceably, who don't harass you as a Christian, who don't try to close down your churches, who do all the stuff that we've had to endure, we're to pray for people not to be able to do that. 
you see. And so when God has to put people in and take people out, they better cooperate with him because he's serious about this. And if you see people in power that shut down churches, you don't support them. You understand? You just, just don't do it because it's not God. God's not, he's never, God has never wanted to shut down his house, period. You got me? He wants people to be free to worship. He killed a whole tribe of people because they wouldn't let his people free to worship him. When Israel came out of Egypt, what happened to Pharaoh and his horsemen? All the military men died. He wiped out a whole army. All the grown men drowned in one night. Amen? Why? They wouldn't let people, God's people go and worship him. He's going to have a people who's going to worship him, period. And if you're a leader, you'll do well to get on board with that and stay on board. Amen? So anyway, in, in um, where are we at? Second Chronicles 29. And verse 3, and he in the first year of his reign, in the first month, now this is coming out of the gate, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites. They didn't even have a priesthood functioning. Where were the priests at? Probably somewhere living with relatives, begging, doing whatever they could to survive. Um, some of them would, would sojourn to far countries. See, the priests didn't own land. They were given land aside the tribe that they were serving. So if you were serving the tribe of Judah and you were a priest, you were in the priesthood, you were given land to live on, but you didn't own that land, which means you couldn't sell it. You couldn't do anything with it. You were like a renter or a tenant. So your your hope was that people continue to come to obey God, come to the house of worship, do what they're supposed to do. If they, if the people went back to worshiping God, then the priesthood functioned. If the people didn't worship God, the priesthood suffered, they starved, they whatever. You know, they just were on their own. And so he said he brought the priests and the Levites and gathered to them together into the east street. And he said to them, hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves, sanctify the house of God of your fathers, and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. In other words, people have been using that temple for something else. Amen. Probably storing their household goods in there and cattle and who knows what all else. And so he calls them together. He said, this is serious now. You're going to go back to work. You're going to go back to worshiping God like you're supposed to. He says, for our fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes of our God and have forsaken him, turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. And he says, also, they have shut up the doors of the porch and put out the lamps and have not burned incense nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. So in other words, they shut down. They're off doing something else. He says, therefore, the wrath of the Lord is upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he has delivered them into trouble and astonishment and to hissing, and as you see with your eyes. And so what happens when you ever hear people uh, see you doing something wrong, they say, hmm, what kind of Christian are you? This is what was going on there. See, when when we get to be not a good witness before the sinner, it's serious. 
See, that's what we're here for. We're here to to lead people to God, not have them make fun of God. And so what has happened is Hezekiah has inherited some generations of ridicule, some generations of being put down by foreign countries that when the, and when they look at you with ridicule, then they don't respect your God, they don't respect you, and they don't listen to you when you witness to them. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so your best best thing to do is to repent and carry yourself like you know a Christian should. Do you understand? And, and just let God take that. Ask God to forgive you for not being the witness you should be in front of these people. You understand? And, and get that straightened out between you and God. And so Hezekiah knows that the wrath of the Lord is on them and he's delivered them into humiliation by their neighbors. The next step, the neighbors are going to come and want to take it over. You got me? When when they start demeaning you and, and uh, discrediting you, ridiculing you, all of that, they want to take something from you then. It says, for lo, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. He's talking mainly about uh, Israel, that, the, you know, the Assyrians by now, they captured Israel, which was 12 tribes. Here's, he's, he's, they're just two tribes down here and they're hanging on. He said, now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. So Hezekiah is the kind of man, he knows the scriptures, he knows the word, he's smart enough to look around him and see, he knows the problem. He said, we gotta go back to worshiping God. You ever been like that? You say something yourself. You know what, God? It was doing better. I used to get up and read my word for a certain amount of time, and I, my life was easier then. It was in in in. Everybody can slip. Anybody can slip away from from what they know is is acceptable, uh, responsible behavior before God. And so He sums it up right, and He says, He says here, now it's in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce, fierce wrath may not may turn away from us. My sons, be not now negligent, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before you. Now he's talking to the priesthood still, to serve him, that you should minister to him and burn incense. Then the Levites arose, all of them and all of them and all of them, and Kishnim and... <laughs> And the sons of Elizabeth and Shimri and Jack, you know, it just takes too long to say all of that. And, you know, here's, it's a bunch of people here. There's enough here to get, get some stuff getting started. In verse 15, they gathered their brethren, sanctified themselves. See, people know what to do. And came according to the commandment of the king by the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. And the priests went into the inner part of the house of God to cleanse it and brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of God. And the Levites took it to carry it out abroad into the brook Kidron. Now they began on the first day of the first month to sanctify. And on the eighth day of the month, didn't take long. You're going to obey God. His grace is with you. 
He will speed it up. He will help you. Anything you do for God does not take forever to do. You got me? And he says, And on the eighth day of the month they came to the porch of the Lord, so they sanctified the house of God in eight days. And in the sixteenth day of the first month they made an end. Then they went into Hezekiah the king and said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord and the altar of burnt offering with all the vessels thereof and all the showbread table and all the vessels there. Moreover, all the vessels which King Ahaz had in his reign, in his reign did cast away in his transgression, we prepared and sanctified. Behold, they are before the altar of the Lord. They even cleaned up some other king's mess where he disrespected the house of God. They went in and cleansed that. So people know what to do. You got me? There's no such thing as not knowing what to do when you're called to do something. You got me? If you don't know what to do, just stay fast, do what you know to do until God gives you something else. And Hezekiah the king rose early and gathered the rulers of the city and went up to the house of the Lord. And they brought offerings and commanded the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. So they killed all that. The priests received the blood sprinkled in on the altar. So they're sanctifying the house of God. They're getting worship started again. I can tell you just from, from experience me reading the word. And under, if, if you're not worshiping God, you're missing a big part of your blessing in, in your service to the Lord. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I don't mean just when we come in here and we sing with everybody. That's easy. But when you break some of that normal silence you have in your house, I tell you, a good thing to do, and and I would always do it. I didn't turn my tele. My husband turned the television on when he was alive. I, you know, some people turn the minute they get in the house, they look for that remote, click, and get it on. You got me. Learn how to just leave some silence. In your midst. Some place where God can know you're waiting on him to speak to you. A place where you can reverence God. A place where you you don't have to have some comfortable noise around you all the time. Make some noise with God. Make a joyful noise with him. I used to, to worship in my car and make sure I wasn't looking for a distraction the minute I got into that. You know, anything to help you stay in contact with God. Because he's going to be your, you don't want to lose contact with him. You don't want to put him second, and you don't want to move him back and keep moving him back, you know. It's easy enough when now I got the stupid phone to look at all these stupid apps people send you stuff on there. You know, there's always some kind of nonsense distraction that you can get involved in. But I'm telling you, worship opens the door for everything in your life. Spending time telling God, thank you. Just begin with thanksgiving. The Bible says to enter his gates with thanksgiving in your heart and his courts and praise. You can just mentally keep thanking God all day long. Lord, I thank you for, you know, like, thank you, Lord. Just say thank you over and over and over again. It kind of puts your heart in a place where your natural surroundings are shut out. It's it's kind of easy to get a hold of God when you keep a thanksgiving on the inside of you. Amen. Sometimes in the morning my mouth is dry and I try to start some talk and it won't go. And I just say, Lord, I thank you in my heart. 
My heart, my soul magnifies you. You understand what I'm saying? You're real big to me, Lord. I love you and I thank you. You know, just a point of contact. You know, you don't have to set up something and do all this stuff. You know, you he lives in you. He wants to consume you. And so when we, we start start understanding what brings God's presence, what brings favor, what does he delight in, what is it you can do continually that, that he, he approves of. And it's always worship. It's always thanksgiving. It's always, you know, thanking him. You know, just getting in his presence and letting him know how much he, he, you appreciate him. Little things. Sometimes you need to get little post-it notes and datum and stuff that God did for you that you really appreciate. Yeah, it may not look like much to somebody else, but you didn't do it for them. You're doing it between you and God, you know? Amen. It's like David told his wife. She's talking about criticizing you out there uh, dancing around like all in base fellows. He said, I didn't do it for you. I did it for God. I don't expect you to like it. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? You got to get like that. No, oh, no, I'm doing this for me and God. I don't expect you to understand. I don't expect because it ain't for you. Amen. Expect you to butt it in on my private worship. Get on back out of here. And so <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. People will steal. You know, devil use anything to steal from you. Amen. So, so they sanctified the the uh, temple again. And they brought forth the goats for the sin offering before the king of the congregation. They laid their hands on them. I mean, they're they're doing the function of the priesthood. See, they know what to do, but they're dependent on somebody to come in and say, it's time to do this. Don't quit doing this. The last king didn't want them doing it. So when that happens, you go run hide somewhere until somebody tells you it's safe to come out. But they know what to do. It says, in, in the priest made reconciliation with their blood upon the altar to make an atonement for all Israel. For the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering should be made for all Israel. And he set the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, psalteries, and harps according to the commandment of David and of Gad the king's seer and Nathan the prophet. For so was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. So the scribes kept notes and wrote all these things down, folks. It's not like they didn't know what to do. And the Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priests with the trumpets. And Hezekiah commanded to offer the burnt offering up upon the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord began also with the trumpets instruments ordained by David, king of Israel, and all the congregation worshipped. Amen. That's the one thing about worship I can tell you. It is contagious. You don't have to beat people up. You just start worshipping God and let your worship go up to heaven. Amen. And and people will know what to do. And says all the people worship. And the singer sang and the trumpet sounded. And all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they made an end of offering, the king and all that were present with him bowed themselves and worshipped. More often Hezekiah the king and the princes commanded the Levites to sing praise unto the Lord with the words of David and Asaph the seer. And they sang praises with gladness and they bowed their heads and worshipped. 
Then Hezekiah answered and said, Now you have consecrated yourselves to the Lord. Come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings unto the house of the Lord. And the congregation brought in sacrifices and thank offerings. And as many as were of a free heart, they bought the burnt offerings. You see, nobody's twisting anybody's arm. Nobody's making it. Nobody's threatening to curse anybody if they don't give. All they do, just worship God and let God do the rest of it. You understand what I'm saying? You just, just worship the Lord and let him do what he He knows how to move people. It says, in the number of the burnt offerings with the congregation brought was three score and ten bullocks, a hundred rams, two hundred lambs. All these were for burnt offering to the Lord. And the consecrated things were six hundred oxen, three thousand sheep. But the priests were too few, so that they could not sacrifice all the burnt offerings. Wherefore, their brethren, the Levites, did help them. So you had Levites. They were all of the same. They were all brothers. They were all the same tribe. So there was a general setting. But they had to divide up the jobs that they had. So they consecrated the ones who were the sons of who? Remember, the sons of Aaron were the priests. So they had to violate the law. Amen. Sons of Levi were were Moses and Aaron and their brothers. They had maybe about eight or ten brothers. So all of their children made up the house of Levi. They were all ministers, but only Aaron's sons were priests. Two of them got burnt because they gave the wrong offering. So all of, automatically you're cutting down the number of the priesthood right off from, from Jump Street. And so they were always kind of short in number. But God saw that and he allowed them to borrow from the other members of the tribe, but they kept it within the house of Levi. So you're going to always have more porters, singers, more helps ministers than you're going to have Minister ministers. That's a hard job. You had to be the book butcher. You had to be the cook. You you understand what I'm saying? It's a tough job. And then plus your members get decreased because if there's any mistake in the washing, the cleansing, whatever, they drop dead right there. So that, that was a risky job. It was a tough job. And so they didn't have enough priests to sacrifice all the burnt offerings so they had to borrow some, amen, from the rest of, of that family. And so it, they, when the worship starts, the people's hearts get consecrated to the Lord. What happens when you start to get God, uh, worship God? You automatically, your heart gets right. You automatically feel better about everything. What happens when you feel good about everything? You start to love, you start to love God, you start to get generous. So all these people bring all their money. I mean, all their, you know, their their sacrifices. So everybody with a willing heart brought what they wanted to bring. See, you can get more obedience from people by asking them to decide what they want to do than trying to threaten them or beat them to get what's, you understand what I'm saying. You don't like it when people are threatening you to give. You kind of overlook a lot of that stuff and you give anyway. But we can get people to give more offering, I mean to give more willingly 
if they did it with it, God knows how to talk to people, how to move their hearts. Amen? So, so anyway, it says, Hezekiah said, you consecrated yourself. The number of burnt offerings were too many, verse 34, but the priests were too few, so they could not flay or kill all the burnt offerings. Therefore, their brethren, the Levites, did help them till the work was ended. It was important to get the offerings and sacrifices given over to God. See, if you're if you're giving, say if you brought your sheep and you're watching to make sure it's offered to God, you don't feel good. They say, well, we'll do it tomorrow. No, you do it now. See, you have to be true to the people up and down the line. See, it's important that the people see what happens to their giving. It's important for them to know what it is that's being done with these things. Amen? It's very, very important. So there's accountability here. And they were accountable to the people. And so uh, the consecrated things, it says, uh, those were things that were kept. You know, Levites had to do some some animal tending too because there were sacrifices that weren't given over to be sacrificed then. They were consecrated to the Lord. So you could give things and they'll say, well, we'll consecrate this to the Lord, but this will keep for the burnt offering, you know, and they, they had to offer those things in. And it says here, uh, and it says, for the Levites were more upright in heart to sanctify themselves than the priests were. Amen. So the Levites kept the order of things. They, you know, the priests were willing to just say, hey, man, it's too many of us. Let's quit. Their brethren came and said, no, we'll help you out. We'll get this done. So they were more determined to keep the offerings going. They were more determined. The more offering, it's kind of established in the Bible, the more sacrifices they made, the higher the, the presence of God was. You remember when David dedicated the temple the first time? They had so many, and they said the glory filled the house, and they couldn't stand to minister by reason of the cloud. So these Levites know what can happen if God's really satisfied with what you do. He'll show up so big, people be drunk for days. They got drunk off the presence of God just like we do now. They had the same reaction. The congregation and even onto the people felt good about what they're doing. They felt close to God. They felt cleansed. Amen. All of that, all those offerings did that for them. And he says, verse 35, and also the burnt offerings were in abundance and the, the fat of the peace offerings and the drink offerings for every burnt offering. So the service of the house of the Lord was set in order. First thing Hezekiah did was get the worship established back. He's a smart man, folks. He's not, he's been watching all this stuff go wrong all his life and he'd have figured it out. Amen. Just like Joshua did when he was under Moses. Sometimes you'll have a, a, a minister that's okay and does, does everything right, but then you get somebody studying under them that outdoes. Well, that's the way it's supposed to go. The glory of the latter house. Every generation is supposed to get smarter in God. Amen. They're supposed to be more devoted to God. 
they're supposed to do more for God than the previous generation does. And so it says here, Hezekiah rejoiced, and all the people that God had prepared the people for the thing was done suddenly. Amen. Sometimes God will move in a way where one person gets the ball rolling and then everybody falls in line. Everybody, you know, sometimes you'll see it in, in congregations that have kind of explosive growth where for some reason they get God's favor. You know, maybe the worship is really touching people. Uh, all of those things, or maybe they're big and soul winning. Whatever it is that God has told them to do, they set everything in order and then they begin to to understand and begin to know exactly what it is that God wants them to do. So Hezekiah was one who brought um, worship back to the house of God. So when he's talking to God, pleading for his life, he's got more things to talk to God about. Amen. So so this is just the beginning of what he does. Amen. Um, in in uh, if you go over to chapter 30 and verse 1, it says, Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem and keep the Passover unto the God of Israel. So he's attempting, at the time of, of David, the tribes of Israel were split up. There was the northern province, let me get this straight, uh, northern province was Israel, and it was actually ten tribes. So Israel was huge in number compared to Judah. Judah was reduced to two tribes. That was Judah and I think Benjamin. So Israel had been invaded, and they were over the under the rule of the Assyrians at this time. And the Assyrians were really looking toward Judah. That's why Hezekiah wised up. He figured out, he said, they got my brothers in bondage. They got my brothers captive now. He said, I'm not going to play around, God. I'm not messing around. I'm getting under the shadow of the Almighty in a big hurry. And God sees, and he sees trouble coming. He sees these people come by and make fun of us and pick at us and Remember in the beginning he talked about the people hissing at them, disrespecting them? Next they disrespect your God. Because if you don't go to worshiping God and get him on the scene and get him, because God can defend himself. You don't have to convince anybody that God's real or that he's good. Because the average sinner will cry out to God when things get bad enough. If you don't think he's good, why are you calling him? You understand what I'm saying? You don't know him. Amen? And so God knows how to reveal himself to people. He just wants somebody down here to obey him so that he has something to work with. See, he comes for the obedient. He helps those who obey his laws. He does everything for us when we obey. What's the one thing we got to obey is worship. You got me? Just worship God and, and love people just like you love him. Forgive people. That's where we stumble the most. We want to sit and talk about people forever and, you know, just stay on Petty Street. You know, you got to move off Petty Street. You got to get deep with God somewhere. You understand? And and worship ain't that deep. You understand what I'm saying? If God will take your hallelujah and he'll take your glory to God and he'll take you, thank you, Jesus, 
you know, thank you, Father. Whatever. <laughs> Come on now. You can do that. Anybody can do that. And so, uh, he, he, Hezekiah then starts to obey God more because he knows that the rest of the tribes are entitled to worship God. You know, hey, y'all used to worship God. We used to do. Now, Israel is in bad shape because they're under Assyrian rule and they don't have priesthood, temples, none of that. They're worshiping other gods right now. And so he invites them over to come under the authority of God. So really, that's like, say for instance, I hear, uh, uh, say for instance, Miss Jan, you got a, a nephew, and he's in jail over here on the west side. Where's that place? I used to live around the corner from it, you know, in Lorraine County. And and you just go in there and tell him to bring that boy out of here. He belongs to to my family. He ain't got no business in here. Let him out. See, that's the same thing that he's doing here. He's making them release prisoners that they have imprisoned just out of ignorance. You know, these people, Israel started worshiping other gods. They're under bad rulership, under a bad king. Hezekiah is a strong king. He started out the right way. And it it comes to his heart to let more of God's people come up to get the benefit. It's like we're just having such a great time up here worshiping God and he's prospering us. But why should we keep that to ourselves? And so he invites them to come up. It says here that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel. For the king had taken counsel and his princes and all the congregation of Jerusalem to keep the Passover in the second month. For they could not keep it at that time because the priests had not sanctified themselves. I mean, they were in a mess. They were backslidden. Neither the people had gathered themselves together at Jerusalem. And the thing pleased the king and all the congregation. So they established a decree to make proclamation throughout all Israel, from Beersheba even to Dan, that they should come to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of of Israel at Jerusalem. For they had not done it in a long time in such sort as it was written. So the post went to the letters, or with the letters to the king, And y'all know who didn't like it, right? So he sends this throughout all Israel. And according to the commandment of the king saying, Ye children of Israel, turn again to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. You know, when the devil hears that, he goes into shock and he calls up as many demons as he can to put a stop to it. Because even if the Assyrians don't know, the devil knows. That if they go back to worshiping God, his, his power is done. Amen. He's over. And so he tells them to come back. He's, you know, Hezekiah, if you look at him, his determination in God, his love for God, and his confidence as a king, his boldness to step out and do the right thing. 
no matter who does it. You don't have enough Levi's. We can solve that problem, but we got to get this done. We're not sitting up here looking and wondering anymore. We're going to worship God. We're getting it back together. And so he says, you children of Israel, turn away, turn again to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. And he will return to to the remnant of you that are escaped out of the hand of the king of Assyria. But be not like your fathers and like your brethren, which trespassed against the Lord God of their fathers, and therefore give gave them up to desolation as you see. Now don't be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord. And enter into his sanctuary, which he has sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. He just lays it all out. Amen. A public letter. It's like saying, devil, read this. Amen. I got something for you. I'm pulling these people away from you. I'm taking them out of your hand. Amen. And this is the way we need to be sometimes. Devil, let go of my kids. You know, they they don't love you. They hate you and they hate sin. They don't like this. So you let go of them. They coming back over here. Amen? Where they belong. It says, for if you turn again to the Lord, your brethren and your children shall find compassion before them that had them captive. In other words, the same people that's holding you, going to let you go. Amen? They not You turn to the Lord, they're not going to be able to keep you. Amen? And so he says, and so that they shall come again to this land, for the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his seat. He's, Hezekiah knows all this about God. See, when you plead your case, you gotta know some stuff about God. You can't just be guessing and you can't be wondering. You're gonna have to take some time to think back and meditate. And Hezekiah has preached this to others. So now he's got to preach it to himself. He's got to remember all the good. He tells God, remember all the good that I've done. Amen? So he starts to remember all the good that he's done. He's not only turned them back to God, he's liberated people that were held in bondage. He's risked angering the enemy even more by taking away the captives that they have already. He's just going to go over there and tell them, I don't care who got you in prison. I don't care nothing about it. God told me to tell you this. Amen? So he makes up his mind. Hezekiah is bold. He's responsible. He takes authority. He has a good heart before God. He's a worshiper. Amen? He gets the whole country to worship like he's supposed to. He's doing his job. Amen? So you might wonder, why is he sick? (laughs) And we will have to come to that. So so we'll finish this up and, and we'll talk about some of the things, all other things that he done, he did that were very bold, very confident. In uh, 31, are we in 31 yet? Yeah, okay. In 31, verse 2, um, let me think, 3018. We might as well finish up 30 because this whole First chapters of Second Chronicles are all the good things he did. And he's telling God, think about this. It says here, it says here, um, they killed the Passover. No, I'll keep it where I'm going because I'm skipping too much. 
So verse 10, the post passed from city to city throughout the country of Ephraim and Manasseh, even unto Zebulun, but they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. So here's some of the children of Israel, even after he pleaded, did not relent. Nevertheless, some of the ones from Asher, Manasseh, Zebulun, humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. Also in Judah, the hand of God was to give them one heart to do the commandment of the king and of the princes by the word of the Lord. See, when you've got a, a core of people who just will do the right thing, you can influence millions. You don't need a whole lot of people. You just got to have a core of people who are serious and sincere and unwavering and unmovable. Amen. And that's what they have here with Hezekiah and the children of Judah. It says, and there assembled at Jerusalem much people to keep the feast of unleavened bread. And in the second month, a very great, very great, very great congregation. And it's like, take that devil. You know, you tell me I can't talk to these people. I shouldn't tell them to do that because you're going to do this to me. And you, you know, all these things get told to people when they're in charge. You can't do this because so-and-so, you can't make them people mad. He says, and they arose and took away the altars that were at Jerusalem. I'm sorry. And and also in Judah, the hand of God was there where we see the very great congregation. Where did I see that? Okay, in 13. And they arose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem, and all the altars of incense took they away and cast them into the brook Kidron. And they killed the Passover on the 14th day of the second month, and the priests of the Levites were ashamed and sanctified themselves and brought in the burnt offering to the house of the Lord. See, God knows how to get what he needs to get out of people. You understand what I'm saying? They repented themselves. They said, man, we ain't clean. We ain't right. We just going through the motions. I'm going to get serious here. And they stood in their place after their manner, according to the law of Moses, the man of God, the priest sprinkled the blood, which they received from the hand of the Levites. For there were many in the congregation that were not sanctified. Therefore, the Levites had the charge of killing the Passovers for everyone that was not clean to sanctify them unto the Lord. For a multitude of the people, any, even even many of Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, Zebulun. See, we're getting more tribes coming back. How you think the king of Assyria feels about this? He don't like it. The devil don't like it had not cleansed themselves, yet they did eat the Passover otherwise than it was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them. See, things people do in ignorance. These people were not cleansed, but they ate the Passover anyway. You ever seen people come in for communion, been sleeping around and keep sleeping around? You pray for them. That's how we can have communion, not everybody drop dead. You think ministers don't know people don't do what they're so you say examine yourself. And they keep doing they keep sinning like they've been sinning. Well they're in ignorance. So you intercede for them. You pray for them. You ask God to forgive them. And it says for a multitude of people, even many of Ephraim, but Hezekiah prayed for them, saying to, saying the good Lord pardon every one. 
that prepares his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary, and the Lord hearkened to Hezekiah. See, this is the thing. Hezekiah know too much about the goodness of God to die. You understand what I'm saying? It depends on what you know about the goodness of God, and if you don't know what you're willing to let God teach you on short notice. Amen. Sometimes it's like that too. But you've got to be understanding and willing. Don't skip over people's sin. You got relatives, your kids ain't living right, you know they ain't living right, you ask God to forgive them. God, don't let them, you know, stay out there and live like this. I'm not coming to you like that you owe them anything. Amen? But you're a God who keeps covenant and mercy. I'm calling on the God of mercy to forgive, not overlook. Forgive. There's a difference. Amen? Father, thank you for your word and thank you for understanding, Lord. We thank you for blessing us with knowledge. Did you get something out of that? I didn't want to, okay. I didn't want to read read you to death, but I thought it was important to know. See, when you go to God and you say, "Remember the good I've done," you got to have some you got to have some chops when you go and ask Him for that. So, in Hezekiah, we can see, Amen. He knew what he was talking about, Amen. He knew he would go to bat for God again, Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Father. We bless you and we praise you. Why don't we do our declaration? <laughs> I don't have Rona, and she don't have me. I can't get Rona, and she can't get me. And I thank you, Father, that by your stripes we are healed. Amen and amen and amen again. It's so decreed. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. <laughs>